This is a podcast about failure. With me, Lola Berry, author, nutritionist, and yoga teacher. Join me as we get to know these guests and learn about how their failures have ultimately shaped their dreams. Welcome to Fearlessly Failing with Lola Berry. G'day, it's Lols here. This next guest is Rachel Barrett. So Rach is one of my managers. We've been working together for a few years now and her history has generally always been within kind of media and talent management. So she's got some cool stories, worked with Rebel Wilson, lucky bugger. Um, She opens up about some personal stuff as well though. So trigger warning here, we do discuss abortions. Rachel, thank you so much for coming on this potty and bringing your wonderful, quirky, brave and courageous self. Enjoy, Rachel Barrett. Okay, I'm really pumped to have you in here. This is the beautiful, you are very beautiful, Rachel Barrett. Hi. Hi. Um, Full disclosure, you are my manager, Mm -hmm. you and Lauren, and we've been working together for about... How year long? and a half. Year and a half now. And we were literally walking out of Harry M the other day and you're like, I've got a cool story, man. And you, and then and I was like, yeah, man, send it through. You sent me through. Like we could do eight podcasts on your life. For someone of your age, you've done so much. Mm. So I'm going to give a quick little snapshot Please. and then it'll go down whatever rabbit hole it goes down, I feel. So you're a mama bear. To the awesome Elvie. That's right. You are a manager, mm-hmm. talent manager. You also are a mama bear to a beautiful cat called Gordon. Gordon Brown. <laughs> Not named after the Prime Minister Gordon Brown. <laughs> Amazing. You've got a BA in journalism, is that right? Correct. Awesome. You And we'll get to unpack some of this, but um, you've kind of been content producer. You've obviously got a passion for music that started as, your te- as a teen um, content producer for Channel 9 TV, but then you've really kind of gone into this management space. Yep, theatrical management. Love it. Awesome. Then lived in London. Like, there's so much stuff. I mean, I'm giving quite a snapshot right now, aren't I? And I guess because you've done so much and you've, to me, this is why I'm so pumped to have you on here. I just say I like people that march to be their own drum and your voice is very authentic and real and I love that. Thank you. So let's have fun. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Rabbit hole, here we come. Yeah, man, I cannot wait. Um, so let's just start off with childhood. Like I, I love what you wrote to me about like far out, man, you got moved around all the time, eight primary schools? So many primary schools, just moving constantly, probably every 18 months, new school, moving between Queensland and New South Wales due to... Well, I'm a child, so I'm at the beck and call of my mother. Yeah. And, like, from from what you've mentioned to me, like, early on that would have affected, like, the way you look at life and how you grow up as an adult, yeah? Completely. That instilled in me so much anxiety and loneliness and probably was the catalyst for my weirdness. Weirdness is good, though. Weirdness is fine. I'm all for being weird. Me too. Normal gets you nowhere. Have you heard of that quote? Exactly. So um, there was something that you wrote to me about, like, loneliness was like a human condition that you were just like, yep, this is it, this is it, and darkness is something that exists too and these are things that just exist and that was as a result of probably a rough childhood of moving around. You'd have no sense of safety or security. Yeah, exactly. One of the places in the 80s we were living in King's Cross, which is back then was not pleasant in a yeah. one-bedroom shithole and my I slept on a bed behind a refrigerator. Oh. And for people listening, King's Cross in the 80s, that was like drugs, bikey, yeah. like really unsafe, correct? Correct. So walking to school, I would not want to touch anything and I was very scared because there'd be like needles lying around everywhere. And that was your your childhood pretty much? That was an 18-month period of my childhood. Yeah, okay, so the youngster. Um, 
the reason why I uh, like ask this is because like I think and what I've learned through my own therapy is like up to the age of seven or eight, you kind of shape, it shapes who you become. You're mm. very malleable. Yeah. And so your relationship with your parents, all that kind of stuff is going to have a huge impact yeah. on our insecurities as an adult. Would you agree? I, can, I agree completely, which is why I've had this blueprint of what I need to avoid with my own daughter. Yeah. And I make every step that I take and everything that I choose has to be for the betterment of her life and I'm, you know, I'm second place but I want her to have the best there is. I, I love, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping ahead, you'll know this, well, you've listened to the podcast. By the way, you're a big reason why this podcast even exists. Oh, yeah. Yay, me. Yeah. You were such a, a huge part and I'm, and I'm jumping around here but, like, I read you wrote about, like, your love you weren't aware that you were, like, when you had Alvin, you weren't aware of, like, how much you could love another human being. Mm-hmm. And I've heard mothers talk about this before. Yep. And how you said, like, you don't want anything bad. You almost want the Rapunzel story, yeah? yeah. Lock her up in that tower, keep her safe forever. As soon as she was born, I just, like, threw in my head, like, pedophiles, cre- yeah. creepy people, yeah. murderers. <laughs> Worst possible, straight yep. you're on her like. With like worst possible scenarios, running constantly. I'm holding her like crying tears of joy, but also tears of pedophile, stay away. Yeah, totally. And I'm never <laughs> leaving the house. Do you know my favourite thing about you? You say exactly what you think. Would you agree? I've been called blunt, but I don't know if that is like blunt to me sounds bad. No, blunt is great. I think just honest. Yeah. I'll tell it how it is. I love so I love that. Okay, so then okay, so there are some things that you, that I really want to, like, catch you on, but I don't want to miss kind of like these moments. So teen years you didn't fit in either really because it was like you were at a, a girls' school. Is that right? I was at an all-girls Catholic school. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't – I'm not Catholic. Yeah. So I remember one time going up to get the – Communion. Communion. Yeah, I went to it. Someone's like, don't do that. You're not – Yeah, I got in trouble whatever. too. Like, well, everyone else is doing it. Like, I don't know. No one told me. I had that exact experience. I went to an all-girls Catholic school and I thought, oh, I better go up and take the bread, the yeah. circular bread thing. And I had it and they're like, you're Anglican. Why did you just do that? And I was like, because everyone else was doing it. I thought it. Was I'm, only, I'm only 14. Don't judge me. And I saw you mention as well, like, was there a sense of body dysmorphia? Because you kind of felt like I don't, I'm an alien compared to these people. I got full body dysmorphia when I changed schools because I was kicked out of that Catholic girls' school because mm-hmm. I was awesome. And can, moved, I, can I ask how you got kicked out? Um, smoking the weed. Yeah. <laughs> Ring-a-ding-ding. <laughs> bong in the locker. Apparently that's not a good place for it. <laughs> Amazing. And so was that an expulsion straight away? It was an internal suspension and then I just left because I was tainted by that point. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, everyone there, was, everyone there was a bad girl, so... It wasn't just me. Okay, keep going. So then, sorry, I'm cutting you off. So then I moved to a school on the northern beaches. Yeah. And everyone there was tanned as fuck. (laughs) And I was, well, the school I was at before was in Glebe. Yeah. And there's no beach around there. That's like the hippie, more hippie kind of artsy area, right? And, yeah, I was white, translucent as a ghost. I mean, I still am. Ish. Yeah. You've got the Sydney glow. I guess because I've been in Melbourne, you look tanned to me. (laughs) But, yeah, I gotcha. But as a, say, 15-year-old, I was always been tall, so tall and really skinny, like white, and there were all these beautiful blonde tanned glamazons, and I felt really inferior. Really? So how did that kind of manifest in your life? I just wore really baggy army pants around mm-hmm. and giant band T-shirts and hid my body from the world. Really? Do you remember a point, was there a point where you kind of thought, I'm like, because I suffer from body dysmorphia in a different way. Like I'll see myself as really overweight even though I'm super healthy. Like I have the wrong kind of a weird dysmorphia. But was there a point when you're like, I've passed that or does it ever creep back in? Um, no, around maybe year 12 I realised, fuck, I've got long hot legs. I'm going to get them out. You do actually. I will <laughs> absolutely vouch for that. So, so And it, you got into music then too, didn't you? Yep. Yeah, so October 1994, <laughs> Silver Chair released tomorrow and my world changed. Really? Yeah. Music can do that. It did. It just changed my life. I was like, oh, my God, there's all this amazing music out there. I don't have to listen to TLC oh, or yeah. Pop, whatever. Top of the Pops. Top of the Pops that so was around. So fresh. Mariah so Carey. So fresh, summer 1994. Do you remember all those CDs? 
So, and I think the good thing, the incredible thing about Silverchair, like... They're accessible. They're my age. I'm like, I could marry Daniel Johns, maybe. Fangirl hard. Yeah. But also, like, he shared his own, he shared his own, like, struggles, and I'm sure that that is also communicated through music, which makes you feel connected and then you've got this thing. Music for me Well, that album, that Frog Stomp album was incredible. Because it was so much teenage angst. Yeah, so you could relate. Yeah, totally relatable, beautiful people. Just love them so much to this day. If you needed a kidney, I'd give it to you. <laughs> Amazing. So at that stage you were like you had found some mates that were into the same kind of music. You were going to festivals all the time. Yeah. Two bestie band mates. Love those girls. We went to as many Silverchair concerts as possible and we were like, we hate these teeny boppers who love this band. <laughs> we're not teeny boppers but... You know. I was totally in the teeny bopper group because I reckon I jumped on the bandwagon really, really late. So we would see them when we could, but we also saw like Regurgitator, Friends or Rom. We'd go to sort of Kanga in Manly and like Fugazi played there. Yeah, but but fucking Regurgitator was amazing, by the way. Sorry yeah, to digress. They were. Like and pretty they, cutting air, like pretty, they set their own tone. Yeah, they were great. So they would do a lot of uni gigs and we would we weren't at uni, we were in high school, but we'd go to all these Manning Bar gigs and whatever that bar is at in at Ride Uni. And would you find that was kind of like seeing that expression of art in that form gave you an outlet to go, oh, I've found I do have, I fit somewhere. Yeah. So with those two girls, Lisa and Bianca, we found our identities. Yeah. And that shaped who we are for the rest of our lives. Well, and... Seeing a bit of your story from what you've sent me, like you've always been involved in something creative, whether it be like the music side, whether it be like you were a content producer for Channel 9. And Mm. I do TV segments and I think what you see on like the three minutes that you see when I'm on is nothing like what goes on in the two-hour lead-up that you're at the network for. And I think I'd love you to share like, I mean, you shared some of the stuff you learned from it, so go for it. But what did you learn from being – because I just think it's not so glam, TV. No, it's not glamorous at all. No, it's the opposite. It's dirty, it's long days, it's grumpy grips. Yeah. Explain what a grip is. He's – well, he or her are the (laughs) person who moves the camera equipment around on, say, a dolly. So they set up the track. Yeah. And – Grumpy. Well, the, the set is usually full of men. Yeah, men are the gaffers, men are the grips. It's a male. It's totally a male dominant world. Dominant world. It totally was, and there's a lot of inappropriate woman staring at as you when you're a young girl on a set like that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you would have been super young. That was early two thousands, right? It was who was the guy who Fatty from the Footy Show? Okay, yes, yeah, so yes, he yes, was yeah. totally perving at my boobs one day during a shoot, and he came up to me and he said, oh, ha, 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 "Sorry, but you're just so distracting. I can't do my lines properly." Oh, I was really? Like, Fuck off, gross old man! I don't even watch this show. What did you Not say impressed. to that? I was like, hmm, "Thanks." Oh, good girl. Oh, so you had a sense of who you were by then, because mm. I'd be like, "Oh my god, what do I? I don't know what to do. I don't know what. I'd get really insecure." Um, and and what what was the lifestyle that was linked to Channel Nine? Yeah, party. <laughs> no one who started work at Channel Nine left, and if they were in a relationship, left in that relationship. Oh wow! It was fuck town. Really? Was everyone hooking up with everyone behind the scenes? Everyone's hooking up with everyone. Um, I t- I took ecstasy for the first time, yeah, yeah. and then just took it constantly after that. Wow. There were so many great parties. And this is like, I'm not looking at, at back at it saying it's bad. It was no. awesome. Yeah. It was, yeah, it's coming of age for you. It was totally. coming of age. So all these older creative people who also opened my eyes to other bands and music and yeah. things I could like and helped shape me as a person, again, I'm so grateful for that experience totally. and meeting those people and being in that environment. And even though the work, I imagine workload and work hours was crazy and full on. Nuts. yeah. Where there's still moments where you're like, oh, this is cool. Yeah, I loved it. I loved every minute of it. And the energy of TV. There's something you can't get it in other places, I don't think. No, it's really special. And everyone there seems to love their job. Like there's no one really walking, except for the grips. Yeah. Um, Walking around (laughs) going, ah, back at Monday. 
No, you never. I never get that vibe there either. And any any TV show I've ever done, it's always like we're creating something and we're getting paid to do this thing that we love. You kind of get yeah. that feeling of the ethos of TV studios anywhere. Yeah. And it's like it's a lucky job to get. Like a lot of people want to take that job and a lot of people want to work there. So you know I'm in a privileged position now and I've got to love the shit out of every day. Oh, that's so true. I'm going to think that. It's such a lucky thing. Because sometimes I must say when I'm buying my ingredients for a segment, I'm at 7 a.m. in the morning, I'm like, oh, here we go, Lola. <laughs> but it is so – and then the moment you get there and sit down in that makeup chair, it's so fascinating because you're just so – we're all working together to make this cool thing happen and I'm just one tiny piece of this big puzzle. It's a pretty cool experience. Yes. Yeah. TV's great. Oh, man. Okay, so after TV mm-hmm. – you then went into talent talent management. Yeah. I had no idea that, that you've been doing talent management, probably why you're so good at it. For a long time. Uh, probably 2004 was when I started mm-hmm. with the lovely June Riley. Oh, yes. I can't Is that like Patsy? She's like that? Patsy from AvFab. She's the most wonderful person. When I came back, when I moved back from London, she was like the first person I wanted to see. Really? But she'd... Closed her business down, stole everyone's money, and who knows where she is now. So is she who, and I loved, I was reading notes, I was like, fuck, really? Rebel Wilson, do you want to tell that story? So she, June Riley's was her first agent. Um, Nobody cared for Rebel because she was overweight, dark hair, weird. She didn't fit the mould, like Mm. the Australian mould. She was on Fat Pizza at the time, and another cast member sent her our way. And I met her and I just thought she was the most incredible powerhouse of talent and unappreciated talent. She forged her career every step of the way. She wrote a one-woman show. I went to a new town. There were probably 15 people in the room. Was she a legend? Like nice? Total legend. Really? So nice. Because the media have painted a different picture of her from when um, she sued, was it the Daily Mail? Yeah. And that was because they lied about her. her we age. should all be suing the Daily Mail. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally right. Mm. Totally. And she was pretty strong about her beliefs. And now that you say how she forged her own way, it makes total sense now. Up against a wall of indifference against her. But, but. Now, all those things now are what make her epic. Yeah, exactly. Love her. <gasps> oh my God. Oh my God, you've got me so excited. I'm so happy that you. Um, I'm so happy that you got to hang with Rebel Wilson. I mean, not hanging out, but, no, you know, me like her. the way we work, we work together. Well, we get a few hangs in yeah, here we do and get there. A few, we get a lot of hangs. We do. We do get we had a sneaky little dinner last time I was in Sido. Pretty happy about that. We often, um, I'll be like, Rach, can you be my date? <laughs> got an event. So, okay, so after you work for this awesome Patsy-esque character, you then were at a different talent agency and it was brutal. It was Brutal for me because we had a personality clash and I did have an emotional breakdown from working there. And were you bullied or were you just treated a bit horribly or? Probably just, I mean, I'm a super sensitive person anyway. Empath. Yeah. So I'm, you know, absorbing the vibes of the place. She had a very um, micromanaging vibe and that undermined my confidence and to this day I hate taking phone calls if someone's listening to me because I think there's going to tell me every shit thing I just did and that I'm not good enough at my job. Oh, so she was brutal then. So she was – but was there a moment where you spoke to other staff members and you were like, hang on. It was just me and her. Really? (sighs) Did you leave? Did you end up just going, this is too much? I'm out. I left. And is that the point where you're like, stuff this, I'm restarting everything in London? Yeah. I'm out. Then London came. Greatest life ever. I feel like as I was reading, I was like, oh, man, London is in – when I've known that we've spoken about it a fair bit too, that's – London is your heart. It is. Tell me about London. So we moved to London and I had always been like, we're moving to London and that's happening. I don't know how it's happening but we're going to be there. I feel like I belong in that city. Had you ever been before? Once. And, and it was not it. great. Uh, <laughs> but I just wanted to be there. Yeah. It's just the most intriguing city. And so I, many creatives too. So many creatives. You it's just it's a big, it's a big place that I could walk around every day in awe of where I was. Totally. So move there, move to Ladbroke Grove, which is the grungy end of Notting Hill. 
but walk outside oh. and Portobello Road's on my doorstep. <gasps> that market. So you just walk around feeling like you're in a dream because you're in these places that you've seen in movies yeah. and you've thought about them and then you're there living it and it becomes normalised to you. You're like, I'm fucking cool, man, living in Ladbroke Grove, walking down Portobello Road every day. Totally. And something about the energy of London, there's a, and I don't, I, this might be the wrong word to describe it, but there's a romance to London. It's one of those Completely. cities that is like you can fall in love with and I think you either fall in love with it or you don't. Yeah. So people who talk shit about London, I'm like, yeah, you don't know what you're talking about. The weather did get me. I got stuck in the winters. I, I would go, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I used to go to a solarium back in the day because I was like, oh my God, and I was getting sad. Yeah. I got sads in the in the last year. Yeah, that seasonal affective yeah. disorder, it's a real thing. And and it was there for, like, they were selling it as mood enhancement. Mm. Solarium mood enhancement. <laughs> I can't believe I did it. Happy rays. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, you were happiest when you were. You were, in, you were just yeah. like, oh, my God, this is – and, like, I think from what you've said, you've kind of grown up with a fair few struggles yeah. and figuring out your identity, figuring out where you belong, self-described as weird but kind of just probably creative and quirky and needed yeah. to find your home. Yeah. And I feel like London might have been that for you. It was exactly that. I'd left behind all the bullshit of Australia, my family, everyone, bye. Like, yeah. not in a bad way but, like – Fresh I need to start. just go be me and do my life now. And it was great. And you got a dream job, didn't you? Got a dream job. So arrived, did some temping and then applied for a job at a place called Park Village. Okay. Which is in Camden, which yeah. is one of my favourite places in the whole world. It's where Amy Winehouse was from. Yeah. You could go to a bar where she poured beers. No. Mm. Did you see her do that? I didn't see it. But other people did. Really? She was pretty, I don't know, she was just always around. Wow. And um, That's crazy because I love Amy Winehouse. I think she's pretty incredible. Yeah. So much love for her. Oh, there's some good docos Mm -hmm. on Netflix. And her music is neck level. I went to see the Amy Winehouse documentary on my birthday because I love to see sad films and cry on my birthday. So we saw that. And everyone in that cinema was like bawling their eyes out afterwards. Oh, yeah, that – if anyone – I don't know what it's called, but it, – It's just called Amy. It, oh, there you go. Thank you. It's called Amy. I'll do a link in the show notes so you can watch at least the trailer of it because it's really – she was obviously definitely troubled but so creative and so talented and so passionate. And so tortured. Yeah, very tortured. One of those dark souls that have got – not dark souls but dark, she's gone through so much darkness and yet she creates this magic from that same place. Yeah, magic from darkness – yeah. That's the key. It is actually, like, I feel yeah. like it totally is. Now, t- t- to speak about Park Village, Hosn't didn't have, like, did Rolling Stones shoot there? Yep, so it was founded by Peter Webb and Ridley Scott. Literally Ridley Scott. The Ridley Scott, although he went off and um, founded RCA. What's RCA? Uh, Ridley Scott, no, RSA, Ridley Scott Associates, I don't know. I don't know what the R And that's all the movie and yeah. all his incredible stuff. But it was one of the biggest and most awarded production companies in London. Oh, wow. Like, and it was in this amazing building, which was a part horse stables. It was part of, it was a heritage listed building. Oh, beautiful. It was then. just bizarre. Like, I would have loved to take you there so you could see it, but it was the most unique and special building. It was right near the zoo and in the war they took all the animals out of the zoo and walked them over into Park Village to be safe. Oh, yeah, that's good energy. That's got to be good vibes. And if it's heritage listed, it's going to feel... Haunted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but be, like, beautiful. Just the history. The whole thing about London is the history. Yeah. Walking around like, this city is blowing my mind all the time, every day. Oh, so what was your role when you were working there? What were you doing there? Production managing. Did you love it? Mm-hmm. That's appeals to my sense of organisation. Yeah. My Virgo-ness. Yes. In my chart. Yes. Wherever that I'm is. I'm also a Virgo, so I get you. Um, so you've got Virgo somewhere in your chart, which is why you love being organised. Yeah. Love those lists. Yes, me too. You can, I've actually got a list of notes for you here, you can see. <laughs> um, but it was a, just a great place to work and working with cool directors and cool creatives and working with people who, after working at the last place I was at, 
sort of gave me my confidence back too. Yeah. Like nice people who got me. Like, you know, when you meet people and you're like, oh, they understand me, which is why I love working where I am now. Yeah. Shout out. Shout, shout, out. shout out to Lauren. <laughs> you're the best. And Osha, you're the best. I love you guys. Kid- kidneys all around. <laughs> Amazing. So Lauren is, is going to be coming on this podcast as well and she's incredible. So she's been my manager since nearly ever. Yeah. Incredible. Um. So when you were working at Park Village, is there any, like, projects that you did and you were like, um, sounds like there were probably a few, but, like, pinch me, like, how is this happening right now? What are, like, were there any moments where you just were like, I love this? It, any shoot day. Really? Just the vibe of being around geezers, like, geezer grips are far more charming than yeah. anyone who's a geezer, I just love. I want to yeah. hear them talking and the vibe on the set. Like, some shoots were quite large where you might have, I know, 50 to 100 people on a set or when you're doing a big set build like um with art department building you know you've got your empty psych and then two days later there's a kitchen that's built and there's scenes of farms behind it that the art department have painted oh wow just the whole you know the magic of film i just love it yeah me too was there anything shot there while you were there that we would know? Like any any little because it was all more it's all London, yeah. So it's mainly commercial stuff. How cool though! Yeah. And did you work with any talent that you're like you're a legend and that you didn't expect them to be a legend? Um, hmm. We can come back to that. We can come back. I'll have a think. Even in the talent world, you might go back to like, oh fuck yeah, actually. You manage so many cool. You've obviously been doing it for so long. Um, you were saying to get to work, you you weren't saying this. You said this to me earlier. Sorry. Um, you'd walk past Amy Winehouse's actual home. Yeah, she, on your daily commute. Yeah, so she was around the corner, and back to Amy Winehouse. This is just the Amy yeah. Winehouse Appreciation Podcast. Yes, please. And we were that in itself would also instill a sense of awe because totally. I idolise her. And then the day she died, we walked to her house and a bunch of people just ugly cried in the street. Were there heaps of people around mm-hmm. and they were already putting stuff down in front I of mean, her? I mean, she'd already, you know, left. Yeah. But people just cried for days in that street. Did it end up looking like a... Like, like a, a Princess Diana Memorial? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <gasps> She would have been such an incredible human to meet. It's just crazy being also in a street with heaps of people who are crying at the same time. Yeah. Like the feeling that's in the air, like we're all the same and we're all sad and I'm there for you. I don't even know you person and we're hugging and like, oh, everything's fine. It was was weird. (sighs) But awesome at the same time. Mm. There's, I remember on that Amy doco, they said when you're with Amy, it's like nobody else exists. She's got this way of captivating and that's where I was like, that, there's the magic as well. I know, if only I'd met her, damn it. Don't worry. There's, you got to meet Rebel Wilson, dude. That's pretty cool. Okay, so you were living in London. You had met, so had you met Mark at this stage? We met in 2002. Oh, okay. Heavily into taking ecstasy together. Awesome. Good times. Good times. Fun way to fall I was like, hey, I'm really high. Let's put my microwaves in my sock in the microwave. And you'd <laughs> be like, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> so therefore, you're like, I dig this person. Totally, man. He gets my weird shit. So you met him in Australia then? Yeah. And then you went to London together? I nagged him, we have to move to London. Get a job there, please, and we can all move. And then on your 32nd birthday, you were living in London at mm-hmm. this stage, and what was the kind of like realisation? So out with some, I've still got the photo of that night. So friends, my friends and I having a great time, partying, drug taking, as you are wont to do. I just, I, I said to you in that email that cocaine was always around yeah. and I, I just didn't buy it. It was just there. It's like oxygen. And it's probably a lot good quality over there, I would imagine. Not yeah. to overshare, but I just exactly. get that vibe. It's pretty good. Oh, I don't know. I didn't take any. <laughs> um, but, yeah, 32nd birthday, having a great time, looked around at my friends and I was like, you know what, I'm sick of this now. And I'd never wanted kids before and it just kind of clicked in my head that there might be something more than just having a good time. Yeah. And 
a month later I was pregnant. So That's a pretty fast. Impulse uh, by. But also like energetically, like to talk deep for a second, you had this moment where your, your energy shifted and you were like, actually, I think there might be something that I need to explore. I remember even the moment in the room when it happened. Really? It just came into my mind and I was like, yeah, you know what, this is going to happen now. And so Mark was totally on board? No choice there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to rape you and make a baby. <laughs> so good. So good. So 32, you're 32 years old, you're pregnant. How does that feel? How was the pregnancy? Um, pregnancy is fine. It's nice in places, bad in places. Did I, you get morning sickness? I didn't get much morning sickness, but I would vomit if I was in a car. Ah, gotcha. The motion yeah. was not fun. But I just lived off watermelon and Terry's orange chocolate. Oh, that's so um, British, isn't it? <laughs> that makes me think of, um, what's her name, Dawn, is it Dawn French? Yeah. She was the face of that, wasn't she? Yeah. How funny. Okay, so you got, so the Terry's cho- chocolate, the watermelon, yeah, you got motion sickness in the car. Did you have any moment during your pregnancy where you're like, what the fuck am I doing? No, as soon as I was pregnant, I was stoked. Oh, awesome. So it was like, yep, made this choice, love it. Done, Um, can't wait, so excited, Um, but also didn't know what I was doing because I didn't really have anyone to show me what to do. I didn't know what a nursing bra was. So I wore a bikini to the hospital to, like, breastfeed, and I was like, oh, my God, my tits are are huge. They don't fit in. This is inappropriate. Is a nursing bra one of those ones that you can flick it open so it's easy access, basically? Yeah. And your boobs get ginormous. Ginormous. Oh, what am I going to do when I get pregnant? Not Take that heaps I'm... of photos of them because they're going to look great. No, but mine are massive already, man. Gotta I'm going to be bigger. screwed. It's going to be great. No, they're, they're going to look Not planning on any time soon, guys. A few people wrote to me asking if I was pregnant when they saw a little pudgy photo of me recently. I was like, yeah. Nah, no, it's so, yeah, pretty much. Okay, so you're at the hospital. So this is all in London yep. at this stage of the game. So I'm guessing you don't have much support from family. Oh, no one. It was just us two. I mean, there'd be a magic side to that as well, but also did you feel scared? Um, no, because I wouldn't have wanted anyone there anyway. Yeah. I would have pushed everyone away who tries to come near me, and that's what I do generally anyway. I have a wall up and I push people away. When you're dealing with something that's that either one, you care about, or two, you're scared, there's fear? Or, yeah. yeah. It's like it's got to, I mean, I haven't done enough therapy to know why, but that's a definite thing in my life. But even just like, and not to psychoanalyze you here, but like even growing up without a sense of security yeah. and growing up and at a young age understanding the feeling of loneliness yeah. and darkness. Yeah, I can just do it on my own and I don't need anyone else. A coping mechanism for you yeah. is going to be protect. Yeah. Especially when there's a baby involved. Yeah. I imagine you're just like, well, protect, protect in the best way that I know how and in yeah. the only way that I know how. Yeah, exactly. Keep everyone else away. So... You get to hospital, you got your bikini on. So backtrack, we – so I was, like, really overdue. Oh, okay. Like, yeah. Two weeks overdue. Oh, wow. So I was due on the 6th and it was, like, the 16th. Yeah, okay. Like, fuck's sake. So Mark and I had been eating hot Indian food, having sex, um, drinking pineapple juice. Raspberry leaf tea. Raspberry leaf tea, yeah. all the things, trying to get this baby out. I'm like, fuck it, let's just go to a movie. So we went to see Superman with Henry Cavill, super hot and shirtless <laughs> on an oil rig. Um, but it was really loud. Like it was too loud, you know, when you're at the movies. Yeah. You're like, why is it? It doesn't have to be this loud. Yeah. And then I went into labour. Oh. So, but it was like labour takes forever. Yeah. So we walked home, I was still in labour, having contractions. So your water had broken? Not, Not really. Okay. I mean, stuff was leaking out. Who knows what that was? Yeah. Um. So I went into labour at home. I'd had my, like, TENS machine, my magical rice balls that you click together to take the pain away. Uh. <laughs> my, um, so I went upstairs and made a nest. My cat, Lenny, came and just, like, sat with me the whole time. He was a doula. He knew. He, he knew yeah. completely. Yeah. He knew what was going on. Animals are amazing. He completely healed me. I had a real doula, but I was like, get downstairs. Don't come anywhere near me. Really? So you protected yourself right at that moment? Yeah. Mark put his sneakers on. I'm like, take those fucking sneakers off. You're freaking me out. Yeah. His stress levels are high. Yeah. I don't want anyone wearing shoes in this house right now. Yeah. Calm it down. So I was, so what is it? Sunday in labour, 
we went to the hospital on Monday morning. Yeah. Because um, I was trying to cope with the pain because you are, I say, brainwashed into like you have to have a natural birth. I was going to say. Got to have one. Anything yeah. less than a natural birth and you've failed as a mother. Oh, wow. Is so, that really the messaging you reckon's out there? That's what I got from my <sighs> NCT group. Um, so then go to hospital. The pain was too much for me. My magical rice balls weren't doing it anymore. <laughs> and I was like, just, you know, I'm going to get in that bath. I need to be like, you know, I need to be in a birth pool. So mm-hmm. I got in the birth pool. Then I was wet and in pain. It's like worst idea ever. I need all the drugs now. So yeah. I had my epidural and I was on that for like a day. They say the actual epidural going in, you came like that's painful, so yeah. it's into your spinal cord. You're in so much pain anyway, like yeah. it was nothing. Yeah, I've heard not one woman say, they're like, trust me, Lola, you'll get the epidural. Yeah. So that you were on that for 24 hours pretty much. 24 hours and just nothing happening. I mean, I got to like nine centimetres. Okay. But eventually got to the point where they're like, it's cesarean time. Okay, yep. And I didn't want that because... You know, interventions, can't have interventions. You've yeah. got to have a natural birth. Yeah. So I, fuck, fail, I failed completely at doing the one thing my body's supposed to do and I can't even do that. Yeah, but, dude, you're small. Like, have you thought about bone structure? I know mm. that we release hormones to stretch and mm. to, but, like, even I, like, I look at my hips and I'm like, I don't think that that, like, I've got small bone structure. I'm like, I don't, I don't, I, I'm not attached to a natural birth at all and I'm yeah. pretty hippie. Yeah. So you had a cesarean? I was taken into the cesarean theatre and because I'd been on the uh, epidural for so long, it had worn off. So I had to have a spinal tap in my neck up here. (gasps) And whilst I was laying there, I was just basically concentrating on not swallowing my own tongue and choking to death. So the whole beauty of this birth moment that I've been dreaming about for the past nine months, I'm going to you know, queef my baby out and hold her up like the Simba in The Lion King and put her on my boob. Oh, my Didn't God. happen because I was paralysed from the neck down, so I couldn't hold her for <sighs> many, many hours. Did the spinal tap itself hurt? No, but it freaked me out. Yeah. yeah I was, yeah, like, crying God. tears of utter fear and shaking with fear. How was Mark throughout all this? He was just next to me freaking out in his own way. Yeah, naturally, to be expected. But then okay. she, well, I don't know what I was having. Yeah. And they did the cesarean and the baby comes out. They held it up. They're like, it's a girl. And I'm like, oh, it's Alvi. That fast. Yeah. Did you have Alvi as a backup name or like not a backup, like on your list? I had, yeah, a list, but I thought I was having a boy. Did you? Purely to, and I was accepting that purely because I secretly wanted a girl. So I'd prepared for the boy, secretly wanted the girl. I love so Alvi was top of the boys' names, yeah. but then she was born, and I was like, that's a great name for her. It is. It's cool, man. Yeah. It means the leader of the elf army. Does it really? That's oh. why I picked it. Fuck, I love that. Man, that's a good name. Sorry, I'm just taking a moment here. Because I remember when we first hung out, um, and I tried to find you on Instagram, not to give away your mm. Insta handle now. I think you're private though, aren't you? No, I'm public as of today. Okay. But you know what? i got to get over the fear of being seen. Hey, well, there you go. So is your what's your Insta handle? like? At Elfie Mama. I love it. But that's Elfie, not Elvie. Yeah, so it's because Elf. Yeah. That's because that's what her name means. Yeah. And Mama, I'm her mum. I love it. I love it. Okay, so we've got to follow Elfie Mama now, don't we? <laughs> I'm open. <laughs> Okay, so you went through this, but was there a moment after that, like, pretty confronting and horrific and scary and painful and life-threatening and it's not the picture that you normally see when you think of birth? Yeah. I was terrified and I, at one point of it, when I was at home vomiting all over the towel rack because I was in so much pain, I promised myself in that moment I'll never do this again. Yeah. I will never, ever do this again. Yeah. And I've heard mothers say that and then they're like, oh, but then you see the baby and you fall in love with the baby and then you forget about it. See, I relate to it, not that I've ever been there, but I, I often say to my boyfriend, I'm like, it's happening once, mate, and not for a while yet. But it's, and when I hear you talk about this, it actually, I know this sounds like a really weird thing to say to you, but it brings me relief yeah. that it's okay to feel that after yeah, you give you can, birth. Yeah, absolutely. And the whole thing's very traumatising. I th- big time. I mean, some women 
I was in a mum's group. Yeah. There's probably 10, about, I think two had the dream queef birth. Okay. Exactly. Where she just like, <clears throat> baby Boom. came out, she put it on her boob, she put it in a sling. I love this girl. And then she went to Primark in Marble Arch. With her, like, five hours old baby. For people listening, Primark is also called Primani. Is that correct? Primarche. Exactly. So it's almost like uh, for Aussies having been kind of like a cheaper version of Target, would you say, or Kmart? Um, Yeah. And you can get anything there. Yeah, anything. But also, like, great stuff like Harry Potter, everything you could ever imagine. I love Primark so much. If I was an influencer, I'd influence this shit out of Primark. Yeah, totally. Oh, my God, I loved it. Well, I did three months living in London and so I was like, oh, my God, I've got an event. I'm just going to go and spend $10 and get everything that I need. Absolutely. So good. Okay, so this brings me like, – well, so then so there was a certain stage where you were like, okay, love, 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 love London, but it may not be the best environment to bring up a bambino. Is that right? Yeah, but that wasn't until she was four. So did you go back to work – after I didn't go back to my job full time because I had her. I was on maternity leave and it was about twelve months. I'm like, I I can't do it. I am so attached to this child. Yeah. In a all encompassing way that I refuse to take any time away from her that I'm not in charge of. Yeah. So I didn't go back to my job full time. I mean I went back eventually, but I said goodbye to that. Yeah. And just went back in a freelance capacity so I could work my own hours and you know, yeah. being, being the mum was, was more important to me at yeah. the time. And that's completely understandable. So then what made you want to then go, all right, we're going to come back to Australia? I guess, I mean, we're a very tight family. It's just, it was just us three. There was I no, like There was no one else. I like that. And it's lovely, but it does get a bit, I mean, there was a Christmas and it was just us three and we kind of looked at Alvi and we're like, oh, I feel sorry for her not having her grandparents around. Yeah. Or other people. Yeah. Like a little community. But that, but also don't let that be, uh, that's nothing that you ever did wrong. That like, it's almost beautiful that the initial bit was just like this little gang, this little like three amigos. And then it's pretty selfless that you chose to come back to Australia and go... She can live her best life now, yeah. and she is. She's loving it sick. And and I've uh, and I've spoken to her, and you're like, we're going away with doing this. I mean, you've planned a little trip next weekend yeah. with her, like. And I felt I do follow you on Insta, and she's hilarious and gorgeous and creative, and she's and got a good mean. character. Yeah, very cool, and that's a testament to you learning from. It sounds like your experience of what not to do, like yeah. what you've been through. I mean, like, well, I'm sure as hell not going to put make my experience be replicated ever. Yeah. And that's a huge testament to you. Thank you. I mean, yeah. I love my mum, obviously. She's great. She's Her quirkiness is in me as well. I mean, yeah. my favourite movie growing up was the Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> Amazing. When oh, I was, you know, six. <laughs> Amazing. Ta-da-ta-da-ta-da-touch me. <laughs> I don't know that that's inappropriate. Yeah, totally, totally, totally. But... And, and I think it's important to know that because I think, and that's one thing I've learned through lots of therapy, like I love both of my parents. They're freaking amazing and I wouldn't be the person I am without them. But I still had to, there was like, this is a thing as a parent, like you're just a human doing your best job. And that best is going to look different to your best, to my best, to someone else's. So like I used to be like, oh, well, uh, you know, I had an eating disorder because, you know, my mum made a comment once and mum's like, I don't even remember making that comment once. And I made you every healthy meal and, and it, as soon as I could get perspective and go, she actually did the best she could do and she's a friggin' legend and she's at every book launch without fail. She buys all my books. Yeah. Shout out to mum, love you too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I think you can learn the great stuff and soak up the epic and the quirk. Like yeah. my mum's great. I love that and I love that I'm a bit weird. Yeah. Like I think that's why we get on so well. Absolutely. But I would say that there was definitely a wound there with my mum and – taking ecstasy and calling my mum at five o'clock in the morning all the time healed it really so I can't say enough for that drug like it should be it's take a lot of drugs are taken in the wrong way yeah but the reason why it was made was to help I think PTSD and soldiers yeah. so they could deal with trauma it is a trauma fixing drug 
Yeah, and it does it work on? How does that? Because um, I don't. I've never taken ecstasy, but how does it compare to MDMA? Yeah, same ball game. Okay, because that I know that there's lots of studies done on MDMA and how it helps mood, trauma, moving through things, like processing. Yeah, it's the best drug for processing for sure. And I would call. I mean, I don't know. My mum probably didn't know I was on drugs at the time, mm. but it just allowed us to have really open and real conversations, and for me to not feel anxious and I don't know this pent up. Like often when she would call me, it'd just be like, mm-hmm, yep, yeah, mm. Mm-hmm. I know we, mm. we can all relate. To mm-hmm. that. Like not saying yeah. anything, but I could talk to her. Yeah, I talk to her now. Yeah, but just like there was a wound that needed healing, and that fixed it. How cool is that? I also think that not to like, you know, put you in a position to talk about drugs too much, but I think that the times are a changing. Yeah. Like, and even like my boyfriend's obsessed with microdosing, and you know. You look at the Steve Jobs of the world and people that attribute most of their success to having times where they've been, like some of the most successful people in the world, yep. their minds are open. You and I were talking about um, we both love Seth, R- Seth Rogen. And, I mean, if you follow him on Instagram, he's pretty he's all about it. Pretty much all about it. In fact, that's how he acts. That's how he, like, he'll, I think he smokes a joint and then goes on set. Like, mm. I think it's part of his process. Yeah. And I think that it's really, be- and a, a really good mate of mine is in Portland at the moment. And she was, she's like, G'day, I'm at this um, marijuana cafe and I'm having a marijuana latte. I'm like, oh my God, like, this is Get normalizing me on that now. How cool though. Mm. Totally. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I totally digress, which you also know the, you know, my brain. That was the plan this. anyway. <laughs> but yeah, let's microdose as much as possible. Yeah, man. I think there's something that, like, you can, go down the rabbit hole of Googling that. Mm. Like I'll literally fall asleep. My boyfriend, uh, Matt, uh, he's so excited to meet you, by the way. Can't wait. Yeah. Christmas party together. Yeah, big time. Um, he um, he he suffers from anxiety and sometimes insomnia as well and I'll fall asleep to him reading about nootropics or microdosing on Reddit. He's obsessed like every single night. And he know, has got so much knowledge and he's like, the, the times are changing. Yeah. It's so... Cool. It's a cool time to be alive. Yeah. I mean, I'd rather take a medicinal mushroom than, you know, a pharmaceutical. A hundred percent. Who knows what's going in my body? A hundred percent. I'm there with you a hundred percent. I could talk to you all now. I'm always getting angry <laughs> at myself because I've gone on so many different tangents. But there was a, an essay that you sent me yep. um, that I didn't expect to love the way I loved it. So I'm going to ask you to share a bit about about it. But you speak the way you write. I, was, I literally said to Rach before we did this, I'm like, are you a writer? Because you write from this place that is witty, very authentic, raw, but in not a way where you're like, oh, that's really heavy. You write in a way that's like, this thing happened, this is how it was real for me, and I'm going to be really honest with you, and it's okay. Yeah. And it makes the viewer, the audience member myself, I was like, Oh my god! Like I was like, "Where's the next page? Like, where's the? I want more." Like, I mean, the plan is to, to be a writer. Yeah, you're meant to be a writer. I can. I'll, I'll be the first to say it on this podcast. <laughs> Rach, I had the writer Rachel on my podcast. Absolutely. The first one. Yes. Can you tell me about the essay and what it's about? And so the essay I sent you was called. I think it's called "One Bad Sandwich." Yeah, well, the word, the word, the worst the sandwich, sandwich ever. ever. Yeah, <laughs> and it encapsulates a. Time in my life when I thought I would have another baby. Alvi was about three, I think, at the time. So obviously all the thing about I'll never do this again. I was like, you know what, fuck it, I'll do it again. Yeah. And I got pregnant, but the fear of everything that had happened just overtook me and I completely freaked out and I wasn't even happy about that pregnancy test. And then it came back. Um, so I took it on that day. It was a pregnancy test, but then I got my period the next day. So it wasn't obviously a proper pregnancy. And you were relieved, right? And I was relieved. Yeah. I was like so relieved, like, oh, thank God, dodge that bullet. Yeah, okay. Then got pregnant again pretty soon after and I was really shitting bricks with that one. I was like, oh, my God, like not happy. Just left the pregnancy test out with a post-it next to it to Mark saying, pregnant. Yeah. There was no like, yay. Yeah, so Just, your internal compass was like, no, 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 no. Um, and just couldn't, 
I was just couldn't deal with the thought of it. I There were so many reasons at the time, but it was like, I don't want to love my daughter any less. I don't mm. think I've got it. I don't have the capacity in myself to love someone as much as I love her. Mm. And I mean, maybe I do, who knows? I will probably, I will never find out. But I decided, you know what? I've got to, I've got to abort this baby. Yeah. I mean, it's not a baby. It's like a, I've got to abort these cells. Mm-hmm. So it was, I think, nine weeks. Nine weeks and six days is the last day you can take the pill. Yes. And I had to decide on that day what I was going to do. And I was alone in the hospital. I was, I didn't have anyone to deflect to. I mean, my whole life I have no one to deflect to. It's mm. just me in my brain figuring life out. Did Mark know you were there at this stage? Mark did, but he was with our daughter. Yeah. Elsewhere. Yeah. So you were totally on your own in this. Totally on my own in this, figuring it out. Because they also ask you, like, do you, do you, like, you don't yeah. have to, do you want to? I'm like, I don't know, you tell me. I can't make this decision. Yeah. But you have to make that decision in that moment. Far out. So, but in the yeah. lead up to this, uh, you were kind of like falling asleep at night going, let it be, let it, let it oh, be a miscarriage, yeah. let it be a miscarriage. Let it be. You were kind of not wishing but hoping yeah. that, that so there was a pretty, there were more than one signs that this wasn't for you at this right yeah. now. Yeah, absolutely. And it was a real, it was such a brain fuck because we had tried previously to get pregnant and then it happened and I can, and I just couldn't deal with it. Mm. So I felt like such a piece of shit having to go through with that. But I knew it was the right thing to do. It, I think if your internal compass is literally you're waking up wishing like that and, and it's almost like I get the I, – I, I don't get the guilt because I've never abs- actually been there but I can, from an outside perspective, understand the guilt. Yeah, it was like it's guilt but then it's also no guilt because I had to do this for me, for my mental health yeah, as my ability as a mum because at the time I was just lying around on a couch crying and not – moving and doing anything. Yeah. I would have definitely had postpartum depression for sure. Yeah. Um, and I did it and I went home and I was with my cat again, legend, love that was cat. Lenny Rest again? in peace, Lenny. And you he got came, heard of that Lenny Cafe in I Melbourne. Know. <laughs> and he just he came to me and he slept with me and he purred he knew, on didn't me. He? he knew. And I'm like, Mark, can you make me a sandwich? I'm a bit hungry. And he bought me the worst ham sandwich I've ever had. It was just mustard on a, yeah, on a sandwich and it was disgusting. And I kind of started laughing when I was eating it because I'm like, having an abortion is bad, but this sandwich sucks (laughs) and everything will be fine. Yeah, so it was that like middle moment for you where, can I ask a quite, this is going to be a quite personal question just for people and I'll totally trigger warning this, but I think um, taking that pill, it's not a quick process, is it? Like you take the pill and then, and you wrote in the essay you knew when the sack had come out. Yeah. How long are you bleeding for? After? Like one, you take the pill, how long does it take to happen um, and how long are you bleeding for? So I think there might even be two pills. So you take one and then you have to go back and take the other one. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I got home, you probably start cramping maybe four to six hours later. What's the pain like out of 10? Like very bad period pains. Yeah, okay. Um, and, I mean, they do give you intense painkillers. Mm-hmm. So I'd had them. So on intense painkillers, bad period pains. Gotcha. And then it happens and then you just bleed a lot for many days. Oh, wow. Did the – once you'd it had started happening, did you – was there any guilt there or were you like when you had the sandwich you were like, actually – I think – I knew I'd made the right decision for our family unit at that time. Yeah, brave decision. It was, it was a, it's hard. I didn't take it lightly at all. It it might sound like I did, but I really didn't. No. And I have never told anyone about it because it's a shameful thing, but it shouldn't be. No way should it be. And I, like, thank you for being open and honest about it. Like, no one knows. You're the first person I've ever told. You're amazing. You're amazing. But But also, like... That's not shame, my friend. Like I know it fe- I get that it should that it would feel like shame in at the moment and also the way society looks at this kind of and that's why I think it's so important that you did and it's massive that you shared it. It's brave and it's courageous. It's actually an unselfish thing to do in some ways as well because you're putting Alvi first. You're making Alvi and your family 
you know, a priority and knowing, hey, if I go through this, I'm going to be not mentally where I need to be to be the best mum for Elvie. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a brave and courageous thing to do. I don't see that as a shameful thing at all. I think there's just a lot of... No one talks about it and no one says, I had this and it's fine. It's more you do something and then you just are stewing in the... Totally. ..in the emotions alone. And I I think... I'm so glad you spoke about this because I think that society, there is a weird expectation. I think it is, you know, like I'm very aware I'll be a geriatric mum when I decide to... And that's, like, that's scary but okay. But society doesn't always accept... Society wants you to have the babies when they tell you to have the babies. Yeah, totally. And it should be the two point, whatever the percentage of kids yeah. it is. Or having one kid is weird enough. Like, when are you having another one? Mm, not happening. Yeah. And also because that's right for me, that's right for my daughter and that's right for my family. Mm. Like, how powerful is that? Oh, man, I could thank you so much. Like, honestly, for, I mean, from the bottom of my heart, you are a legend and you're really, really courageous and brave. Thanks, Lola. I wouldn't have told anyone else this story other than you. Now I'm just like, could I hug you? Yeah. <laughs> we'll do some hugging later. Yeah. <laughs> so my next my next thing, and, and it's, it, I guess, is to wrap, but it's like you've done so much for such a young human being. I am 39. That's young, dude. But, like, look how much you've done. You've yeah. lived overseas. You've worked for different companies. You've, you're passionate about music. You've created music videos. Like, you've done so much stuff. And other times we've hung out, we've talked about other passions of yours. Like, yeah. you know, we've talked about animation. We've talked about so much cool stuff. And you're so creative and yeah, I think I'm talented. I'm like a prolific, untapped source. Well, I think also... We're lucky we get a little a, a little piece of you because I, I believe, like, this is just the beginning. Like, this is just uh, chapter one, really, of the Rachel story. Like, I believe, like, I believe you'll go back to London at some stage too. Definitely go back. I want to take my daughter there. Yeah. She'll love it. Like, she doesn't love it now, hence why we moved. He's like, V&A, who cares? Alexander What's McQueen. What's uh, VNA? The Victorian Albert Museum. Is that, like, what's incredible in, like, like one of the most? Oh, yeah. Oh, I've never been and I have stayed there for so long. So one like a thing that always stuck with me was I took Alvi to see the Alexander McQueen um, oh, exhibition. I'm obsessed with Alexander McQueen. Have you seen the documentary? I'm obsessed. Yep, so good. He is another, same as the Amy Winehouse energy you're talking about, it's like mm-hmm. that dark magic. Yep. He blew me. Anyway, anyway so I digress. He's in, just Alexander McQueen's incredible. We love him. Shout out to Alexander McQueen. Love you forever. Mm. Um, so I took Alvi to the Alexander McQueen exhibition, which is mind-blowing. Yeah. And she just screamed the whole time. So she was in, like, the sling and she's yeah. hating it. And it was – oh, no, she was in the sling, but anyway, it was amazing. She hated it. So I probably had to see that exhibition in about ten minutes' time. Yeah. And you need, like, two hours. Yeah, totally. So that always stuck with me. Like, she doesn't want to be here to see those things. Um, Maybe she needs to grow, like, just grow. And how old is she now? Six. Yeah. Give her She's still years. too young. Yeah. Like, we'll go back one day and she'll be like, oh, my God, I love London too. Yeah. So because she was born there, does she have jewel? Mm-hmm. Oh, best gift. I'm all about yeah. giving Jeweling. kids. Yeah. Giving, I think that's a massive gift to give kids. Yeah. You are a legend. And you are. But don't let anyone ever tell you otherwise. You've had your brutal, like, crappy. Experience. Growing up, and that had to happen because I yeah. think you had to feel alone and those things to be resilient and all these amazing things you are. But now, like, fuck. And I don't think, let's just say that I'm probably destined to write a book one day. Yeah, man. And I don't think it would be the book that it will be un- unless I'd had that darkness in my life beforehand. A hundred percent. We were both talking about our mutual love for Lily Allen before we came here, and her book is incredible and it just makes you look at her in such and I'll in the show notes I'll put a little link to it it I uh, she's a misunderstood soul as well it's the same dark magic thing we keep talking about I think it's a positive thing yeah I agree do you want a really really cool mate of mine taught me and I think you're gonna love it and she's an actress and she goes Lola there's something magic about people that have been in darkness and found a light and she goes, that's the power. I mean, the issue with that is we can always fall back into the darkness and because we feel so deeply you're super empath. Mm. So you feel, which means you can fall into that 
feeling a lot, but there's something. That's where the that's where your magic is, yeah. and where the darkness is is also where the epic shit is. Exactly, and that's where a sense of crazy dark humor comes from. Oh my goodness, you're the funniest person. You are you are so. But that wit, and that's why I love your writing. Never take that out of yourself or your writing. Oh. Love you long time. You're amazing. Love you long time. So are you. Bye. Bye. That's a wrap on another episode of Fearlessly Failing. As always, thank you to our guests. And let's continue the conversation on Instagram. I'm at Yummo Lola Berry. This potty, my word for podcast, is available on all streaming platforms. I'd love it if you could subscribe, rate and comment. And of course, spread the love. Spread the love.